And welcome back, everyone, to the Cold War Cast. I am your host, Ryan Llewellyn. This is a podcast where we discuss the history and the pop culture of the Cold War. I think we're going to have a really good episode today. I think this is going to be a fun one. Now, when I first thought of the idea of doing the Cold War cast years ago, it's precisely episodes like this that I thought about doing. And, well, about 10 years ago, I wrote a book called Wolverine's Reflections on Red Dawn that's on Amazon Kindle, and it's a deep analysis of the film Red Dawn, and it puts it within a Cold War perspective. And while I was doing that, I realized that there are a lot of other movies and books and songs and art and so forth that could really be analyzed from a historical perspective and, uh, you know, ones that we don't often think of. And the movie we're going to talk about today, Top Gun, is definitely one of those. And the more I think about it, I think it is one that really would go down as one of the great films insofar as telling the story of the Cold War. It's a film of uh, redemption. It's a film of um, America's confidence. And it's also prophetic of America's victory in the Cold War. And I hope by the end of this episode, I've got you convinced about that. Now, normally... With the Cold War cast, we've been following kind of a loose timeline and not getting too far ahead of ourselves. We spent a lot of time in the 50s and we're kind of still there. But since Top Gun is a thing again uh, with the recent remake, I figured this would be a really good time to talk about it. Um, Let's see here. This is June 2nd and... Top Gun just had, I think it may have been the largest grossing weekend of all time uh, here on Memorial Day weekend, which is pretty which is pretty good. Um, I don't know if that's exactly the case, but either way, Mr. Tom Cruise is going to have a hell of a payday coming to him. Since Top Gun is such a popular film that everyone's seen, we're going to avoid talking about it like you would a regular film and, you know, going into the plot and all of that. But we're really going to analyze the historical perspective and a few of the, the themes that I think may have gone unnoticed and um, take a look at it from that angle. Okay, so Top Gun was released in May of 1986 and... I think to really understand this period, you've got to go a little bit further back in history. And we're just going to basically mention these things. We're not going to talk too much. But you have to go back to the Vietnam War and the the whole experience of that for the United States, which was one that was very decisive. And it was a war that arguably we lost. And... Um, really was seen as kind of a, a stain on our record. Um, you know, there were like the My Lai Massacre. Um, just uh, we, we did a lot of things that we didn't feel good about. We lost a lot of people in Vietnam. Um, you know, there was issues with the draft. Um, it caused a lot of dissent within American society. And we 
didn't really talk about the Vietnam War uh, immediately after it happened. It, it made the military not a very popular institution after that. Immediately following the end of the Vietnam War, we had the um, air, the oil crisis where um, you know oil was hard to get. Kind of prices went up. Kind of looks a lot like today. Um, Inflation, stagflation, high unemployment. You had the Iranian hostage crisis. Um, yeah, you name it. The uh, the seventies were kind of rough years for the United States. Jimmy Carter spoke of a, a great malaise. Um, you know, told Americans to put a sweater on to save oil. Um, these things, it, it was just really a kind of a depressing time for America. And in 1979, the Soviet Union invaded Afghanistan. At the time, the Cold War was kind of in a lull. Um, there wasn't really a lot going on. Um, you know, tensions were a little bit more relaxed between the West and the East. But the invasion of Afghanistan kicked him back into full gear. And going into the Reagan years in the early 80s, the rhetoric between East and West really heated up. Um, you had Ronald Reagan's evil empire speech. You had the uh, proxy wars all around the world. Um, Basically, at in the early '80s, a lot of the world was in flames, and um, things were actually starting to look pretty good in America again. The economy started to boom, and we were building up our military very, very fast. But these were tense years. There was a lot of talk about nuclear war, and scientists had just pretty much realized the concept of nuclear winter and that uh, a nuclear war would basically not be winnable. But at the same time, Ronald Reagan and his administration was talking about the Strategic Defense Initiative or, or the Star Wars program, which was seen as very uh, provocative to the Soviet Union and insofar as um, challenging the idea of mutual assured destruction. The Abel Archer exercise in Europe um, ruffled a lot of feathers in the Soviet Union and brought tensions uh, to, a, to a pretty high level. And um, the Soviet Union was experiencing some uh, little bit of discord there in Eastern Europe. And if you look at media at the time, some of the movies made, they really reflect the sense of uh, a fear of the time. So I can think of uh, the day after and threads over in the United Kingdom and, of course, Red Dawn, which all showed um, the state of the Cold War at that time. But things started to change a little bit, actually, in just an another year or two. So when it comes time for Top Gun in 1986... By this time, the tables had turned in the Cold War in our favor a little bit. So you think about the uh, incident in Chernobyl that happened um, really, I, well, the month before Top Gun was released. That showed the West and the whole world that, you know, maybe the Soviet Union isn't 
as on top of things as we like to think, that there were really um, problems there. And also, they just had a new guy in charge that you know been in charge for about a year at this point named Mikhail Gorbachev. And this guy was, in a way, trying to stick his hand out for us. He was talking about a uh, period of perestroika in the Soviet, the Soviet Union where they were going to start um, reeling in some of the more authoritarian aspects of their society, um, a little bit more freedom of the press, uh, a little bit more room for people to criticize the regime, and they were going to try to relax things with the West and loosen their grip on Eastern Europe. Now, no one really predicted the collapse of the Soviet Union happening in the next couple of years, but we could sense that there was some blood in the water at this point, that we were surging, you know, our, our military was strong again, our economy was strong again, and we we really felt like a superpower again after um, the turbulence of the post-Vietnam years. And in this climate, Top Gun was made. And I don't think that Top Gun couldn't have been made in any other time period other than right here in 1986. I guess I would say that it would be possible to make a film similar to Top Gun, perhaps in the early 60s before Vietnam took off. But the film, as it is, really, really reflects the final days of the Cold War for America. Now, I want to cover a couple of themes in the movie that are are pretty important. And uh, the first one, I'll say, is the idea of conflict through brinksmanship, which was the way a lot of the, well, conflict with this, between the United States and the Soviet Union happened. And during the film, we see the pilots or, well, naval aviators um, getting into some tense situations in the beginning where they run into the Soviet pilots and um, there's, there's tension there because they're not supposed to shoot, but it could potentially turn that way. And they try to push each other's buttons. And what this film is saying at the time is that the conflict between East and West is fought by these men that were had these decisions that could potentially end a nuclear war in their hands and that we as the American viewing public should rest easy because we have these guys up there doing the job and keeping the wolves at bay. And of course that since we as the American public didn't experience conflict during the Cold War, and unless you got sent to Vietnam or Korea or something like that, but the conflict was still going on and the the movie wanted us to see it that way. Now, the other theme, and this is important for understanding American military doctrine, was the idea of the individual being the source of strength in our arsenal as well as our technology. Now, 
What I mean by this is the film points out, and this was actually true, was that during the early days of the Vietnam War, we shot down three enemy pilots for every one of theirs. Or, excuse me, three enemy uh, planes for every one of ours that was shot down. Uh, That sounds pretty good, but it wasn't. We couldn't sustain those kind of losses. And they started the Top Gun School during the Vietnam War and and sent the best pilots through there to improve their dogfighting skills. And by the end of the war, the kill ratio was, uh, for every one of our planes shot down, we got 12 of theirs. And in a way, if you think about that, those ratios that three to one wasn't good enough, there's there's a bit of hubris there that um, our individual lives matter so much. And, you know, you can ascribe whatever motives behind that you want, be it uh, the cost of training people or, um, you, you know, the political capital you might lose by having people come home in body bags or whatever. But bottom line is that the American military works on the idea that our individuals are, are force multipliers, um, that there are things that make them more efficient at fighting than the other guy. And in a clash between the Soviet Union or China, you know, Red China, we always heard about the numbers that they had. They had this many tanks more than us, um, you know, this many million guys under arms but the thing that was supposed to pull us through was the fact that it wasn't necessarily about the numbers it's about what we could actually do so we you know we have better air power we have better this and that and we can cut these large numbers down to size and but if we were in a situation where we were kind of in a slugfest where you know it was one to one or you know one to three in this case we would have problems sustaining those kind of losses so we needed to make sure that what we had was the best it could possibly be and the idea of this top gun school and the top gun situation that we see in the film really reflects that now, part of the reason why we're so good, I guess, as Americans, um, you know, per our mythos here, is that we have guys that are willing to bend the rules and be unorthodox and uh, color outside the lines, you know, use whatever um, whatever you want to say right there. But we are... Um, we can use our imaginations. We can think things through. And this stands in contrast with the Soviets, which we deemed to be more uh, robot-like. So our ability to outthink these guys basically was um, what was supposed to carry us through. But now, on the other hand, there was something about the Soviets' uh, robot-likeness, or at least our stereotype of them, that uh, put a little bit of a chill of fear into us. And now the last episode I did, I talked about Sputnik, and the scientists actually talk about uh, uh, little sour grapes that the Soviets, they were only able to put Sputnik in space because they had a command economy. And if the government deemed that their best guys were going to 
work on this project? Well, that's exactly what they're going to do. And in a society like ours, we have different uh, different motivations pulling people. Um, you know, the the private sector pulling people away from the military. Um, we've got all kinds of um, uh, consumer goods, basically that um, need people to work on them or whatever. That would be pulling um, our more skilled people away. There's there's a lot of different directions for things to go. Whereas the Soviets, um, they, w- what comes from the top is what they're going to work on. So in the case of our pilots, well, these guys, they can dedicate their, or so we thought, you know, dedicate their whole being to being a pilot and perfecting their craft. Um, that their training would be very rigid and these guys would had their job down pat. Now, if you look at a guy like Maverick, Tom Cruise's character in Top Gun, he's a good instinctive pilot, but he's got a lot of other things pulling him aside, be it his motorcycle, um, you know, hot babes and sand volleyball playing with the boys, whereas, you know, we wouldn't necessarily think of a Soviet pilot um being distracted by these things, you know, even though I'm sure they had their things too. It's just kind of a stereotype. But in America, we still, we like characters like Tom Cruise's Maverick. And really this kind of uh, renegade, um, nonconformist characters are in a lot of our folklore. folklore. Um, definitely he's very similar to a lot of the cowboy archetypes in Westerns. And really very similar to a lot of characters John Wayne played. And in our military, no one likes to be seen as a uh, by-the-books kind of guy. Um, you know, everybody wants to be kind of more of like a maverick or a, a sergeant striker, um, John Wayne's character in Sands of Iwo Jima, as opposed to an Iceman. But... Although the film Top Gun definitely celebrates the characters in our military <laughs> like Maverick or you know the people that wish they were like Maverick, it also reassures us that there are enough Icemen to keep everything running all right. Now, here's another very important theme from Top Gun, and that is the idea of America's redemption from the Vietnam War. And what I mean by this is there's a little sub-story within there that Maverick's dad was a pilot or or naval aviator during the Vietnam War, and he was killed in action under circumstances that were somewhat dishonorable. I forgot what exactly it was, but I know there's one point early in the film where his commanding officer reminds Maverick that he doesn't exactly have the best name in the Navy. So the aura of his dad um, screwing something up and whatever hung over him. But towards the end of the film, after Maverick quits the Top Gun school in shame, we find out from the Top Gun instructor, who apparently... um, coincidentally was there in Vietnam with his dad and knew his dad that what actually happened was that 
Maverick's dad did something heroic and died that way. But since they did it over, I forgot exactly how they worded it, but basically implied that it happened over Laos instead of Vietnam, that they weren't able to acknowledge it as as something heroic because they weren't supposed to be there. Finding out this, as well as a couple other things, gives Maverick the inspiration to go back and finish Top Gun and then ultimately go into aerial combat and succeed. All right, so we talked a little bit about the post-Vietnam years, but they were very, very rough for the United States military. Um, We had a hard time keeping good NCOs and officers um, from from getting out, uh, people with combat experience. Everybody wanted to do their time and get out of there after Vietnam. And it was hard to get qualified recruits. Um, just no one really wanted anything to do with the military right after Vietnam just because it was such a sore spot. And um, what's interesting, about a year ago, I read the biography of General James Mattis, uh, a guy who <laughs> used to be my old boss. And what I thought was interesting is he talked about the most challenging time of his career was when he was a young lieutenant in the uh, late 70s, right after the Vietnam War, and talked about all the discipline discipline problems, um, low morale, and just general un- being unprofessional in the military. I know there were a lot of problems with uh, drug usage, alcoholism, um, petty crime, uh, there were even gangs, uh, racism, yeah, you name it, just general dysfunction. It just wasn't a good place to be in the military. And we can kind of see this and just conditions in general. Say in a film like Taxi Driver, which came out in 1977, I believe, and Robert De Niro's character, Travis Bickle, is a recently discharged, I believe recently discharged, Marine Corps veteran. And, um, you know, just kind of look at that guy and just kind of how gritty and, uh, and so forth uh, that that character was and just the environment that he lived in kind of gives you a little bit of idea of what the times were like, you know, and I'm not saying the entire country looked like taxi driver by any means, but, um, yeah, you get the idea. There was just a general sense of, uh, demoralization in the United States at the time and especially in the military. But now as the cold war began to heat up in the early eighties, Ronald Reagan, the president at the time, decided that we were going to really build up the military again, (laughs) make the military great again, I guess you might say. And he put a lot of money into it. And really what ended up happening is we saw a very big increase in both the quality of the military and our quantity as well, too. Um, You know, just the Navy expanded, Air Force, Army, you name it, everything got bigger and badder. Now, we can look at a movie like Stripes, which is one we were just actually talking about on Twitter 
a couple days ago that came out in 1981. I thought it came out a little bit later. I was surprised it was 1981. But that kind of shows a gap between the post, um, post-Vietnam military where there were a lot of uh, discipline, discipline problems and uh, low morale to what was about to come, which was the professional um, military that, well, we, we know today. And fast forward a few years, and some of the films that came out about the same time as Top Gun, we have to look at those. Um, Full Metal Jacket, I believe, came out in 1987, and Platoon as well, too, came out in 1986, I believe. Maybe I've got them reversed, but whatever. And the American society didn't really talk about Vietnam in the years following Vietnam, and just once enough time had passed, we used these films as a way to exercise our demons of the war. And these films showed us or reminded us the good and the bad and the ugly from the war. And there was definitely definitely all three. And also at the same time as Top Gun came out in 1986, there was another film, um, Heartbreak Ridge, that we have to talk about. And in all these films, they should get probably get their own episode because they're so significant. And this film very directly dealt with the idea of the American military being a mess and old school guys from Vietnam taking the, you know, the boys of today or whatever and whipping them in the shape and making them something for us to be proud of as Americans um, you know, in the case of Heartbreak Ridge, you know, it was just invading Granada, which, you know, it's not. And the grand scheme of things, not the greatest moment in American military history, but it was something. It was something that we went in there and did right, or we were at least able to make a film about it and make make the American public feel good about our military again. And also there was the film Rambo 2, which came out in 85, I believe. And this is going to sound silly, but Rambo is a character we can do a very, very deep dive into. And in a way, he's kind of a Christ-like figure that comes and offers America redemption from the trauma of Vietnam War, if we want to choose it. And there's definitely a different vibe between Rambo First Blood, the first one, which came out in like 77, 78, something like that, and Rambo II, um, First Blood, which came out in 85. And that is the one where Rambo goes back to Vietnam to rescue prisoners of war that, um, you know, it was kind of a kind of a fringe belief that um, they still held some of our prisoners and Rambo is able to go over there and basically right the wrongs for us. Anyway, Top Gun is right there in those films because one of the main themes is the idea that we can learn from our experiences and go forward. There's there's a scene where um, the instructor tells Maverick that uh, that's what a good pilot does, is always analyzes what had happened in order to do better in the future. So in this case, 
what he's saying is that during the Vietnam War, there were more examples of, of valor and, and courage and good than we will ever know, which was reflected by the, the true story of Maverick's dad, which, who was really a hero but went down as a, as a disgrace on the official record. And what we need to do is look back to those things and embrace that and, and go forward on our own path as, as America. Now, the film is ultimately a, a very triumphant one. And if there was a way to show the end of the Cold War through a film clip, it would be the scene of Tom Cruise coming out of the cockpit and, and the final scene, you know, thumbs up and uh, Top Gun theme blaring. And that was something that was, I feel, really prophetic to the the end of the Cold War, which was just coming a couple years later from that, where America would emerge as the lone superpower in the world. Our military that went largely untested during the Cold War would go on just a few years later to the Gulf War. And we would sit there in in awe watching this great technology that we had really just laying waste to the Iraqis. And our military would come out of that as, as just basically superstars. We probably all remember the welcome home parades and the, um, you know, support the troops, uh, mailing them care packages and all that from the Gulf War, which, uh, you know, did carry on to the war in t- uh, on terrorism or whatever um, in the uh, 2000s, 2010s and so forth, but kind of trickled off as that war um overstate its welcome with the American public. But I would say that Top Gun was really America's victory lap on the silver screen. It it really was. Um, I I just really feel that that film kind of signifies the the winning of the Cold War by the United States. Um, It's hard to see it any other way. And like I said, I don't feel that that movie could have been made a um, couple years earlier when the Cold War was more tense and it was looking like we were um, really toe-to-toe with, uh, with an equal adversary. And I also don't think it could have been made a couple years later when, well, we didn't really have a very good dragon to slay in the, uh, the crumbling Soviet Union All right. Well, I'm going to leave it there. Um, I hope you've enjoyed this discussion of Top Gun. I know a lot of you will probably be going out and seeing it if you haven't already and uh, or, you know, maybe watching the old one. And I hope it gives you a few things to to think about. I know I will probably go watch the the new one. Um, I don't get out to the movie theater often, but I think I might for this just because Top Gun was something that um, everybody just always enjoys. I, I can't see it being bad. One thing that I will say is I heard that the enemy and the new Top Gun are nondescript. They're just in jet black planes, and they've got black helmets, black visors. You can't tell who they are. You know, you don't know if they're Chinese or Russians, Iranians, um, <laughs> you know, you you name it, which 
is I mean, I understand it, but um, it takes something away from it. Um, having uh, you know the actual Soviets in in the original Top Gun and a tangible enemy definitely added something to that as well too. All right, so if you want to get in touch with me, the best way to do it is get on Instagram and look up Cold War Cast. And also, I've been on Twitter lately as well, too. Look me up under The Cold War Cast and let me know what you think. Let's uh, continue the discussion there. If you want to support this podcast, there's a couple of ways to do it. One way is to go to reddragonherbs.net and get yourself some tea. This is the sponsor of the show, and it's also, well, my family business. It's uh, something we put a lot of work into. Um, It makes a really good gift. And if you need any suggestions, by all means, just hit me up. I can help you out with there too. Um, If you're not in the market for tea right now, check us out on Instagram at Red Dragon Herbs and Teas. My lovely wife does a, a very good job of maintaining the Instagram account, and she's very active there. And um, the other way you can support this podcast, of course, is sharing it with somebody and subscribing and leaving reviews. Now, on iTunes, uh, it's kind of a weird deal. There's two separate feeds for the Cold War cast. Uh, One of them has like 27 reviews or something like that. One of them doesn't have anything. If you're going to leave a review leave it to the one where there are other reviews. And if you are, and by the way, make sure you're subscribed to the one where there are other reviews because the other one should be uh, going away here pretty soon. I've emailed them a couple of times about that. But um, that is all I have for now. And I just want to say thanks for listening and I will talk to you later.